If you would take your Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. As we've been going through this chapter, there's so much that we've, we're, we haven't dealt with. We've hardly even touched on some of the things that there's so much in this chapter. It's such a wonderful chapter. And tonight we're going to only be really focusing in on, on a four verses, verses 14 through 17. But I'd like to begin at verse number 1 to get, to get the context. And we may read past verse 17 as well, because the next section is, is exciting. Uh, verses 18 through, through 25 is an exciting uh, section of Scripture, so we'll, we'll read that as well. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to begin at verse number 1 of Romans 8. This verse if, uh, in, in choir practice as we're singing different songs and they'll have the crescendos and decrescendos and Brother Jed will always point out the crescendos, make sure we, we uh, get our voices up on those. And this, this, here is, this chapter is, is the crescendo. This is the, the, the double F in the book of, of Romans. There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak to the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What a wonderful promise. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that, our whole, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for this book of Romans and for this particular chapter. Father, what wonderful truths, uh, Lord, you revealed to us in this passage. Father, we thank you for our position in Christ as, as saved uh, children of God, that we are justified, that we are not, no longer under the condemnation of sin. Father, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and, and His working in us uh, helps us to live a life of sanctification. Father, because we are justified. And Father, we thank You for the hope uh, that we have. Uh, Father, we look forward to our time that we will gather before Your throne and rejoice together and, and uh, praise You for Your goodness. Father, I pray you bless your word to our hearts tonight. I pray, Father, you teach us and your Holy Spirit would lead and guide. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the first 11 verses, as we are looking in this passage of Scripture, we're looking at the, uh, the advantages that we enjoy as God's children, that we have been delivered from the condemnation of the flesh, We've been delivered from the control of the flesh and from the corruption of the flesh. And as a result of that, we are under accountability, verses 12 and 13, we looked at last week, that we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, uh, which we, he doesn't just come out and say, but you're debtors to this. Uh, if, if we're not debtors to live after the, we're not debtors to the flesh, what are we debtors to? We're debtors to Christ, we're debtors to the Lord, we're debtors to Him because of what He's done for us. Uh, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the same Spirit that raised up Christ is going to raise up us, He's going to quicken our mortal bodies, and so we are debtors to live for Him. We have a responsibility uh, to live for the Lord, and it's not a responsibility that's a dread, it's not, a, it's not something that's hard to do considering what He's done for us. He deserves far more than we could ever give to Him. He deserves he deserves everything. He deserves that. And we owe it to him. And in the passage we're going to look at, at this evening, verses 14 through 17, we see the assurance that we are given as, as God's children. And as we consider the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our eternal life, the assurance of our justification, uh, Paul is laying it out here, uh, giving proofs of our sonship, that we are the children of God. We see here in this passage of Scripture the, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and as it relates to our sonship in verses 14 and 16, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In verse number 16, the Spirit itself birth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that statement flows from 
13 is connected to it by 4. There in verse number 14. 4, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Don't skip over those, those small words. Uh, they say they, there's meaning in that. Uh, so there's a connection here. Paul is saying that if we are mortifying the deeds of the body, we are not living after the flesh. We are living uh, after the Spirit and through the Spirit. We're mortifying the deeds of the, of, of the body. That's a proof of the, that's what saved people do. That's a proof that comes out because the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And if we are mortifying the deeds of the body by the Spirit, uh, it obviously means that we are being led by the Spirit to do so. And if we're led by the Spirit to do so, uh, it's proof that we are the sons of God. He's, he's building this argument. Uh, God's children are led by the Holy Spirit. He's, they're directed by uh, the Spirit of God. They're instructed by the Spirit of God to, in the context here, one of the things is, is to mortify the deeds of the body. And why, do, why is that? Why would the Holy Spirit want us to do that? We're told in Galatians 5, verse 17, that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you, you cannot do the things that you would. So obviously the Holy Spirit wants us to, to live a certain way, but our flesh is fighting against that. He wants us to, to mortify those deeds so that we can better serve him, better live our lives in conformity, to his will. His desire for us, that, that phrase there, that the spirit lusteth against the flesh, or the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, that's a, a strong desire on the Holy Spirit's part, on our behalf, is that we should be saved from the influence of the flesh. And because of this, he, he leads us and directs us in life in order to do those things. The unconverted aren't aren't led that way. The unconverted aren't led by the Holy Spirit of God. They do not submit themselves to the Spirit of God. They don't submit themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit strives with them and convicts them. Uh, often they will reject that. They will uh, strive against Him and reject His Word, reject His working in their lives. Uh, but for the saved, that's, that's not so. For the saved, we're led by Him and we... Uh, we conform ourselves to his leading in our life. This verse following verse 13 has uh, little to do with special guidance, uh, rather, but the practical daily life, uh, practical daily living. Uh, what the Bible describes is our conversation in this world. And what do we need to have in order to know God's will, to, to follow his will? How does the Holy Spirit Lead us, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Well, how does he do that? So a few things this evening concerning that. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. John 17, 17, Jesus, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy uh, truth. Thy word is truth. The, whole, the word of God is called the word of, is, is the sword of the Spirit. It's God's word, and the Holy Spirit will lead us in connection with God's word. If the Holy Spirit spent 1,500 years working through 40 different men in order to write down the very words, not just the thoughts, not just the ideas, but the very words that he wanted penned. That's, that's the doctrine of inspiration, verbal inspiration. Every single word are the words that God wanted written down. The Holy Spirit moved holy men of God to write. If he spent that time and energy, and we use that in the frame of man, obviously he wasn't, concerned with time or energy. But if God did that, God worked in the lives of those men to give us his word, and then he's preserved it for us so that we have it today. 
why would he use something else? Why would he not use what he's given us for the very purpose that he gave it to us for? Considering all that God could have told us, he condensed it down to what you have here, these 66 books. So these 66 books are pretty important. And he uses that to lead us. There are other spirits, the Bible tells us, that will also try to lead us. And we're told in 1 John 4, verse 1, to try the spirits whether they be of God. Uh, because there are many false uh, prophets that have gone out into the world. So we can't uh, trust everyone that stands up and, and even a, and holds this book and, and preaches. Uh, we also have to compare everything that, that men say to the Word of God uh, compared to that. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, said that the Holy Spirit always leads in terms of truth and along the line of truth. Here, therefore, I have a standard whereby I can test what I believe is the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. You want to know if God's going to lead you, if God's leading you in something? It will conform to God's word. It won't contradict it. It will not go against his word. He continues on and says that we can lay it down as a proposition that the Holy Spirit normally leads us by means of the written word, the scriptures. They are his word. So we can say that the truth which the Holy Spirit conveys to us is the truth which is written in what we call the Bible. Therefore, speaking generally, the Spirit leads us in this manner of sanctification and in our Christian life and living as a whole in and through the Bible. How important it is that we read and study the Bible. You read through Proverbs and you, and you look at the, the wise man and the, and the simple man and the fool and how they either love instruction or reject instruction. We want to be the, the wise man that, that loves the Word of God and seeks instruction, uh, seeks even reproof. We want God to speak to us through His Word, and the Holy Spirit uses His Word. That's the, how is God going to lead you? How is He going to lead you? The main number one thing is going to be what you have in your lap. That's how God is going to lead you. And He is the, the Holy Spirit. He's not going to lead you into sin. That's obvious. But He will use His Word as the main means of, of leading you in your life. And you ought to have a willingness to, to know God's will. Look over to John 7 and look at verse number 17. Jesus makes a statement here, really a promise. John 7 and verse number 17. Jesus says, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That word will, if any man will do his will. That's not saying it's this, a future tense here. If, if you just sometime in your day, if you're going to happen to do God's will, that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, if, if you will, if you determine, if you choose, if you, your mind is set on, I am going to do God's will. That's a purpose in your life. You're willing it. You're purposing it. You're determining it. You're choosing that path. You're preferring that path. If any man will do his will, he shall know. You're going to be aware of. You're going to have knowledge. If you're going to perceive, you're going to be sure. You're going to understand, he says, of the doctrine. And what is doctrine? There's a particular context here that some things that Jesus is speaking about, but a doctrine is the substance of instruction. What we have in God's Word, the teaching from God's Word. Do you want to know what God's Word has for you? you want to understand what His will is for your life? Determine to follow His will. And get into the Word of God 
and have a genuine desire to know and, to, and a determination to, to do the will of God once you do know it, and God will show you what his will is. If our attitude is, well, let me see what his will is first, and then I'll decide if I want to do it, don't expect God to just open up the scriptures to you and say, wow, this is, this is your will. If, you, if your heart's desire is not, God, whatever your will is, I will do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your will. What is it? You get in God's word and you study that, you'll find his will for your life. You'll understand his will. But if you have a take it or leave it attitude, you won't find much. Turn if you went over to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 and Jeremiah 42, two passages that very similar things are said about God's people. but a completely different determination on the part of, of each of them. Uh, there, uh, again in John 7, verse 17, he that will, um, if any man will, will do his will, have that determination to do it. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, God's people here, that's their desire. Their purpose, you know, come out here, is that in Jeremiah that we'll turn to next, God's people have that on their mouth. Their lips say that, but their hearts are not there. They really have not determined that. In Deuteronomy 5, look at verse number 26. It says, For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. That was their desire. And that was their purpose. That was their determination. And we see that as we continue on. It says, and the Lord heard the voice of your words. When you spake unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God says they have well spoken. Their, their hearts were in the right place. If only they would, it would always continue. He's saying that didn't happen. And we see that in Jeremiah 42. God's people in Jeremiah 42 were asking Jeremiah, well, we really want to know what God's will is. Can you can you please go ask God, inquire of God for us, pray to God for us, and, and let us know what his will is, and, and whatever he says, we'll do it. That was the, what they said. But in Jeremiah 42, and verse number 20, it says, For ye dissembled in your hearts, when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare to us, and we will do it. Same, same words. But Jeremiah says he dissembled. I mean, they were saying one thing, but their hearts were not there. In verse number 21, it says, And now I have this day declared it to you, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for the which he hath sent me unto you. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, in the place whither ye desire to go and to sojourn. They're asking him, should we stay here or should we go down into Egypt? That was the, the thing. Their desire was to leave. Their desire was to go to Egypt. That was their heart's desire. But they said, 
Oh, pray for us, Daniel. We want to know what God's will, will is. But they didn't want to know. They, were, they had their hearts, their minds, their desire, their determination is we're going to Egypt. <laughs> That's where we're going. But pray for us. You, you know, you, you've probably done this, or you know people that, that have done this, that they know what they want to do. They know what they should do, but they know what they want to do instead. <laughs> but they'll still ask, hey, could you pray for me about this? And you know it doesn't matter what you pray for. They've got their mind made up. This, this was there in Jeremiah. That's where they were at. That's a sorry place to be because God wants you to know what his will is. God wants you, the Holy Spirit through his word wants to tell you exactly where he should be at, where he should be going, and how he should be doing it. He, he leads us and he guides us through his word. That's one of the, one of the blessings of being God's children is that we have that. What do, I mean, the God of the universe wants to tell us how to live. And he's given us his word and wrote it down for us, and then he wants to make sure that we understand what that word says. That's amazing. He's given us his word. We're led by the Spirit of God. And it says in verse number 16, Again, concerning the Spirit and the Sonship, that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That word beareth witness means to, to bring forth evidence, to prove to us that we are God's children. Aren't you glad that, that you know you're a child of God? That you know it. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to doubt, but you know it. One of the blessings of being truly God's child is that the Holy Spirit will bring forth evidence in your life to prove to you that you are his child. In 1 John 5, verse 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. The Holy Spirit of God is within you. He's dwelling within you, and he beareth witness with your spirit. So what evidence does he bring forth? What evidence does he show us to... to Give us an assurance of our salvation. One of those is his sealing. His, he has sealed us, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, it says, Who hath sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God has sealed us. He's marked us as his. 1 John 4, verse 13, Hereby know, ye, know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, we're told in Ephesians 1 and verse number 13. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, we're told to grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Spirit himself seals these promises to us and testifies with our spirit that we are his sons. He's within us. He seals us. He testifies of our being in him. Uh, secondly, we have his sword. We just dealt with the word of God. That's another means that he uses to testify to us. Uh, in 1 John 5, verse 13, a very important uh, passage of Scripture concerning the book of John itself, the book of 1 John. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit not only 
seals you, but he also has the sword of the Spirit, which teaches you concerning whether or not you're saved. The book of 1 John is specifically given for that purpose. Other places we can go to as well, to, as the Holy Spirit deals with our hearts, but he's given us his word specifically that we can know that we have eternal life. What other world religions teach you that you can know that you have eternal life? The true gospel lets us know. True relationship with Christ lets us know through the word of God that we are his children. We can know that. We can read the word of God and know that we are children. There should be no reason that, that anyone doubts their salvation. There are reasons. I mean, there are things that we get in our life. We get points in our life where, as P- Peter described, that we can forget we've been purged from our old sins. We can get to that point where we are doubting as, as truly as his children. But what a sad state that is to, to get into. If you're his children, God does not ever want you to be in the place where you're doubting his love for you, that you're doubting that, that you're his child. Number three, we have his seed. Fruit always has seed by which it can be reproduced. And the Holy Spirit's fruit in one's life is there. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit's fruit is in your life. It's not the work of the flesh. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a byproduct of his life in you. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 describe the fruit of the Spirit. We, and as God's children, those are there in your life. You may not have had some of those in your, in your life prior to salvation. You may not have had real true joy. True peace, true long suffering. Things are not, these aren't of the flesh. Some of these things you can work up in the flesh, but they don't last. The Holy Spirit's fruit lasts and it's real. Meekness and temperance, gentleness, goodness, faith. In John 8, verse 31, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. It's an aspect of that fruit of the Spirit that it brings forth fruit that we will live a certain way. There will be certain evidence that come out in our life. If we don't continue in God's Word, if, if there's no love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance in our life, where's the Holy Spirit of God? But if you have those things in your life, that's, that's one of the witnesses the Holy Spirit gives to you that you're His child, that you are a child of God. And fourthly, we have his satisfaction. In John 7, verses 37 through 39, uh, Jesus speaking here, In the last day, the great day of the feast, we're told that he stood up and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit is described here as rivers of living water flowing out of us. Yes, I think it was yesterday, uh, Cameron asked me the question, you know, what's the freshest water? <laughs> where, where on earth can you find the, the freshest water? And they asked, well, you know, can you make water? Can men make water? You know, we, we can make water, and that would be the freshest, as, I guess, as far as the earliest. But the freshest water there is is, is this water right here. The Holy Spirit living, living within us. Romans 5, verse 5 says that, that hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 
We have the Holy Spirit there in the satisfaction that he brings in our life. The joy that's there because he's, he's within us is one of his testimonies to us that, listen, you're my child. We may go through hard times. We may suffer. We may experience things that we wish we didn't experience. But the Holy Spirit never leaves us. The Holy Spirit's effect in our life is, is always there. One of the effects of the Spirit within a believer is that the believer will know this complete satisfaction will become the means of blessing to other people as well as it flows out of us to others. We're going to enjoy, enjoy that, that fruit. In verse 15, as Paul goes on, he describes our slavery and sonship. He says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit which you received of God is not a, a servile spirit throwing you back into fear, which we formerly lived in. Paul described that, that fear that we lived in. Paul describes in Hebrews 2 of being those that are always in the, the fear of, of, uh, of death, the bondage of the fear of death. We've been delivered from that. There's no fear there anymore. We are in Christ. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're not put back under the law. We're not servants to Satan. We're not servants to the flesh. His commandments aren't grievous to us. We've become slaves to righteousness instead. And his, as we follow the word of God and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in the word of God, that leading is not grievous. We're not, it's, not a, it's not a servitude of, of uh, like it was back when we were under sin. We're not in that, under that spirit of bondage. We may get into sin as God's children. We can lose fellowship with God. We can feel desperate even, but we, we never lose the Holy Spirit. A wonderful, I think a wonderful example of that, a uh, illustration of that, at least is in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. Here the, the bride is, is speaking. The marriage had taken place. There was a a, an argument, you might say, between the, the bride and, and the groom. In, in Song of, Solomon, Song of Song, Solomon 5, verse 2, is the bride says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. The desire we have to show the show the, the desire of the groom to to be with his wife, and you know God desires fellowship with us. He wants us to have fellowship with Him. Verse number three. This is her response. I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Uh, just a laziness here. I've. I don't want to put my feet back on the floor. I don't have to get dressed again to, to get up and do that. I don't want to get cold again. That's very inconvenient for me to do that. Verse number four, my beloved put it in his hand by the hole of the door. My bowels are moved for him. So he's trying to reach in, trying to undo the, the lock himself. And so finally she realizes he wants fellowship with me and her heart's moved by that. Verse number five, I rose up to open to my beloved. My hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. 
I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself. It was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. What a, what a picture when a Christian loses fellowship because of sin in their life, and, and they, they, they understand that. <laughs> My fellowship is lost. And it seems that we, want to, we pray just like he's not answering. It seems like he's just gone. He's not gone. The, the relationship here wasn't dissolved. There was no divorce here that took place. It's just he had withdrawn himself. Verse number seven, the watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. That she was lovesick. She wanted that fellowship back. And as God's children, there's times that we can lose that fellowship. But that loss of fellowship is not the same as being in the spirit of bondage. It's not as if we've gone back under our old master. We're desperate, we want that fellowship back. But it's not the same. It's not, it's not like we've lost our salvation. We haven't lost our salvation. We're not back under that spirit of bondage. We've just lost fellowship, and we need to seek that again. In the last part of verse number 15, he says, But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Here's a great proof of being a, a child of God. Uh, do you still live in the bondage of fear, or can you come boldly to the throne of grace? If we would turn over to 1 John 4, Look at verses 16 through 19. 1 John 4, verses 16 through 19. John says, And we have known and believed the love of, that God hath to us. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. That, that relationship, what an amazing thing that is that we have with God. That, that, that his love is shed abroad in our hearts. And we're told in Galatians 4 concerning that, that God sent forth his Son in the fullness of time to uh, redeem them that are under the law. We're told in Galatians 4, verse number 5. He says that happens that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That, that love that God sheds forth in our hearts, where our response to him is Abba, Father. That's a, that's a close, intimate relationship. That, that's never lost. That relationship never goes away. 
There's times, I mean, as, as a father, as you, as you discipline your children, there's times when your children may not think that that relationship is there. <laughs> but as a father, you know that's always there. In fact, even in that discipline, you're disciplining them because that relationship is there. Because your love is so great for them that you don't want, to, want them to continue down that path of disobedience. You want them to, to be right and to do right. You want their lives to be pleasing to God. So you discipline them because you love them. And they may not think you love them. They may pack a bag and say they're running away and go over to the neighbor's house. They may do those things. But your love has never changed. And how much more, how much more, infinitely more, is God's love for us? Conversion makes us a new creature. Adoption makes us a new child. And adoption is a legal action. It's not, identi- it's not identical with justification. It's closely associated with that. When God declares a man to be just in Christ, he also adopts him into his family. Because God has done it, it's irreversible. We can't, he's not going to take, take us out of his family. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We sing that song, uh, I am adopted, I'm a child of the king. <laughs> what a glorious truth that is. And that ought to give you an assurance of, of your salvation. And verse number 17 is the last thing we'll look at this evening, the status, our status and sonship. If we're children... And we already read a passage similar to this in Galatians, but if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This will be we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The witness of the Spirit to the fact that we are children tells us that we're in a position to be inheritors. <laughs> he goes on to tell us something about the character of that inheritance, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Every time that I've been an heir to something, <laughs> it's never been much. Things that I enjoy, I have a rifle uh, that I got as an inheritance. I have a, the type in it I usually have of the, of the rifle. That was an inheritance from my, from my grandpa. A couple of pocket knives. That's about it. <laughs> That's about all that I've, I've received in life for an inheritance. And I enjoy those things, but being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ... The promise that I have in Christ far exceeds anything, anything we could have here. Turn if you went over back to Ephesians 1. Look at verses 20 through 23. Paul told the Corinthians that, that we know the grace of God. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. He became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. And what kind of riches is it? It's not in money. It's not in gold. Paul describes it for us here. Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that dwelleth all in all. That's Christ. That's what God has put Christ, and yet we're joint heirs with Christ. We're going to rule and reign with him one day. <laughs> Revelation 1 verse 5 says that he washes from our sins in his own blood. And in verse number 6, it says he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us to be kings and priests. We are going to rule and reign with him. That's our inheritance. Our inheritance is not in this world. We shouldn't expect it now. How often we're disappointed when we have expectations of God. I'm going to preach out of John 11 here soon. And the title of the message is, is when God doesn't come through. Or when God disappoints us. And often when we're in our flesh, we have our expectations one way. And God doesn't come through with those expectations. We, we get angry at God. We get angry at others. We, uh, we're grief-stricken as we see Mary and Martha were in that passage of Scripture. And yet God always comes through. God is always right. God's, we ought to have our expectations line up with God's expectations. If we are expecting things in less, this life, often we'll be disappointed because that's not what God necessarily has for us. We'll have joy and peace. We have that. We have the Holy Spirit within us. But we'll also have trials and tribulations. We're going to suffer here, but glories await us. Paul said it in... I think I remember where this passage is at. He wrote to the Corinthians... Speaking about a far more, a, a, uh, oh, the passage went far greater, eternal weight of glory, the things that we suffer here. Where's that passage at, Brother Andrew? Second <laughs> uh. uh, Corinthians, Corinthians 4. Thank you. Second Corinthians 4. In verse number 16. Actually, verse number 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And our inheritance is eternal. <laughs> and we can look forward with great anticipation for what God is doing. We are pilgrims and strangers here. We look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We desire a better country that is in heavenly. And God's not ashamed to give us that. God's not ashamed because he's prepared for us a city. How can we know that we're God's children? Here are just a few things. 
throughout this chapter, he's, he's nailing on this subject. But, but what he tells us here in these four verses, truly amazing. God wants you to know. God wants you to rejoice in your salvation. God wants you to, to move forward in your Christian life knowing that you are his child. And as a child, you are a joint heir with Christ. You're an heir of God. And you can rejoice when sufferings come. You can rejoice. He goes on in the next uh, section that, we, that we've read earlier, speaking about the sufferings of this present time. And because of the fact that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, he says that we can reckon those things to be not worthy to be compared with, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of the sons of men what God hath prepared for them that love him. We can't even imagine. <laughs> we read through Revelation and we, we try to imagine it. Listen, it hasn't even entered into your mind what God has prepared for you. Try to think of how beautiful the city is, how the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and the foundations of all these different things. Imagine it the best you can. It hasn't even entered into your mind <laughs> what he has prepared for you. And that's for all eternity. Why? Because you're his child. You're his child. Amen. Let's all stand together this evening. Glorious thing to be a child of God. Truly glorious thing. And we can rejoice in what God's done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. and Thank you, Father, for salvation that you provided freely. Though it costs your son. We thank you, Father, for the salvation that we have. We thank you for a resurrected Savior. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is secure. That, Father, we can know that we are the sons of God. And, Father, I pray that when things happen in life and we choose to follow our flesh, choose to ignore the Holy Spirit's working, His guidance in our life, and Father, we choose the, the convenient path, the convenient life, and we find ourselves out of fellowship with you. Father, may we be desperate and seek that fellowship and have that fellowship renewed. But Father, may we never get to the point where we, where we doubt your love for us. Father, may we always know and understand that you love us. And because you love us, you'll chasten us because we are your sons, you're your daughters, we are your children. And Father, I pray you'd help us to live our lives in conformity to your word. And Father, understand that we are not debtors to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Father, be glorified in our lives. Help us this week to be a light and a testimony for you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.